Hey everyone, welcome back to Behind the Mic Conversations of Hope. We are so glad to be back, and we're glad to have you with us today and kicking off this new season. We know that there has been a lot of unrest in our nation lately about a big topic, and that is the Roe versus Wade decision handed down by the Supreme Court a while back. And we want to talk about that today with one of the experts and someone I've been watching on social media for quite some time now because he's got such great insight into this whole topic. His name is Ryan Bomberger, so we want you to stick around and hear his amazing story. He has got uh, a story that aligns really closely with this whole topic. So he's got some insight that most of us don't have, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed interviewing Ryan Bomberger here on Behind the Mic Conversations of Hope. Well, joining me today is Ryan Bomberger, who is the co-founder and chief creative officer of the Radiance Foundation. He's also the author of the book, Not Equal, Civil Rights Gone Wrong. Ryan, thank you for being here with us. I have, I mean, I've wanted you on for so long and it just seems like this is the perfect time. So uh, we appreciate your time. Hey, it's great to be here with you, Mike. Now, for those who don't know you, your biological mother was raped, but decided to give you the gift of life through adoption. Um, and you say that you were conceived in rape, but adopted in love. You have quite a story. Can you share that with us? Yes, I literally, I am the 1% that's used 100% of the time to justify abortion. And we're seeing that so much now with the overturning of Roe, that the immediate go to, of course, is the, the tragedy of rape. But yeah. you don't promote one tragedy in order to push another. And having you know, been someone that was conceived in rape, I I can't help but want to fight for the most marginalized. You know, my birth mom mm-hmm. was courageous enough not only to give me life, but give me the gift of adoption. I grew up in a small little family of 15. <laughs> I have six brothers. I have six sisters. <laughs> Ten of us were adopted. We look like just, well, we kind of look like America. We're white and black. Uh, yeah. We're mixed. We're Native American, Vietnamese. Some are disabled. Uh, every single one of us has special needs in the sense that we all want to love and to be loved. And we were That's loved right. like crazy by my parents, Henry and Andrea Bomberger. You know, the, the pro-lifers who don't care about people after they're born. I hate that bumper sticker mantra. Because yeah. I was loved like crazy by two parents who didn't, they didn't write me off because of how I came to be. They knew who God meant for me to be. And to see love unleashed in our family and purpose unleashed through adoption is really an incredible thing. So now I'm, you know, happily married man, my best friend Bethany, the co-founder of the Radiance Foundation. And we have four kiddos, two of whom were also adopted. So that's just in a nutshell kind of my story. Yeah, so my listeners uh, probably know that my daughter was adopted from China back in 2003. Um, we also have a biological son, and, and adoption is so amazing. I, I think there's a misconception that they're different um, being raised different, but man, I, I knew before when I saw her picture, I knew I would die for her. And, uh, mm. and I think there's a misconception there, but, uh, yeah, small family of 15. That's, uh, that's pretty amazing how that, we, we could probably have a, a, a podcast about how that works because I can't imagine like just simply going to church or something like that. Uh, you gotta be crazy. <clears throat> Few moments of craziness just here and there. Yeah, absolutely. My parents survived though. Yeah. And they've done a great job. Um, talk to us about talk to us about your story. I, I want other listeners who don't know who you are or what you do to understand 
kind of a little bit of background, and then I want to go into um, you know some really important stuff here. We're going to be talking about adoption, but we're also going to be talking about the big issue right now uh, with with abortion and um, and pro life and all that stuff. Uh, so we're going to get a little bit into the to the, the thorns here, but uh, really important stuff. So tell us a little bit about how what that was like growing up and, and your your backstory there. <laughs> Well, I grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Grew up on a farm, and I tell a lot of my tell friends. Oftentimes, they're like, "You, you grew up on a farm? No, you didn't." Yes, I did. I grew up on a farm. <laughs> used to cows, sheep, pigs. Used to milk our one cow. You know, having that raw milk, which I will tell you, I'm not a fan. I'm not putting down anybody who likes the raw milk, but I mean, we grew up on a farm, eleven and a half acres. It was people think, well, you have 15 people in your family, 13 kids. Wasn't it total chaos? No. It really wasn't, because quite honestly, most of my other siblings are pretty mellow. I'm not mellow, <laughs> but, you know, when you have that much space and you have, yeah. you know, two parents who just continue to pour into us, we had so many opportunities to be able to use our God-given talents. We were all loved equally, which people get mixed up and think that, you know, well, is that your real brother and sister or is that their real exactly. son or daughter? First of all, can we please stop with that whole terminology? All yeah. of, I think part of our lives growing up as this mixed, beautiful family is that we really help shift the culture in our own community because people realize that certain things and certain misperceptions, um, they realize how untrue those things were. They yeah. shifted their language toward us as well. Um, I'm not saying that there wasn't, there were some issues, uh, certainly, racism. But that's part of the thing that our family ended up being that tangible thing that could help change even that and change hearts there. Unfortunately, one of the things that that is part of the narrative of our family is that my mom, who was placed in a children's home for one year because her parents were separated, she had an alcoholic father who was emotionally and psychologically abusive to the family. And so her parents were splitting and she was placed in that home for one year. Mm. That's where the heart for adoption yeah. began. Yeah. And unfortunately, her her father is the only one who never came around, the only one who resisted. In fact, the moment they adopted me, I was the first one. The moment they adopted me, he had nothing to do with our family the rest of our lives. Wow. And he really missed out. And so there were moments yeah. where people like my mom's father couldn't reconcile how white parents raising black and brown and Asian and Native American mixed children... That, that shouldn't be. Yes, it should. <laughs> yeah. God is, is the creator of us all. We're all made for one blood. And quite honestly, I think our family is a testament to the fact that transracial adoption, putting that in quotes because we're all just one human race, but transracial adoption is, is one of the most powerful acts of mm. racial reconciliation. Loving a child of a different color or ethnicity simply because they deserve to be loved. But I, I loved growing up in that family of 15 yeah, there were moments of craziness. If you wanted to eat and get seconds, you had to eat pretty quickly. And <laughs> we all lived under the same roof at the same time. We had one and a half bathrooms. Oh, wow. At one point, it expanded over the years. But I, I just wouldn't trade it for the world. Sometimes yeah. people ask me, do you, do you remember all your siblings' names? Which I think is weird. <laughs> if you're under the same roof with the same people every day, it's not that hard. I have we six brothers, have six sisters. <laughs> yeah. Hey, number 22. Um, yeah, no, it was, it really, I, I would not trade it for the world. And I thank God for that because it's what instilled in me to be 
to want to be a father to, yeah. to the fatherless as well. That's my right. dad was the best role model in my life. He loved Jesus. My parents loved Jesus, and the natural outflow of that is loving people. And to have witnessed that throughout my life, to see how broken lives were radically transformed in our family and outside of our family because of that love, because of that faith, it's why I am who I am today. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think, you know, you talked about uh, changing kind of the, the mindset of your community growing up and seeing the yeah. different races and everything. And I think it's so important that, you know, as, as an adoptive dad, uh, we've seen that with my daughter from China, you know, especially lately, you know, the things going on in China. Um, I think we need to break those stereotypes because oh, yes. some, I mean, I understand we, we don't necessarily know better unless we see it happening which you know that your right. community did. I think that's so important, but I think for, for those that aren't seeing it happen, try to try to break the stereotype because it's so important yeah. and, and you're so correct. Um, tell us about the Radiance Foundation. The Radiance Foundation is an organization, a nonprofit, 501c3, that my wife and I began back in 2009. What we wanted to do is to tackle these tough subjects that we felt in particular Christians were afraid to engage in. And so we wanted to do three things through the Radiance Foundation, to illuminate, educate, motivate. We illuminate that every human life is God-given purpose, mm. planned, unplanned, able, disabled, whatever the circumstances, every human life is purpose. We want to educate people about a myriad of these culture-shifting issues in the context of that God-given purpose. And the last part, motivate. Um, what good is our faith? What good is our knowledge if we don't ever put it into action? That's and right. so we started the Radiance Foundation to tackle a, a wide array of issues, fundamentally the issue of life, but because we're also a mixed family, we, we tackle the issue of race and racism. And of course, the current, what I view as a fraudulent movement, the anti-racism movement, um, yeah. we, we tackle all of these subjects because we want to equip Christians to be confident and bold to address these things from a biblical worldview, a fact-based, hope-filled, biblical worldview. And so we've done billboard campaigns, social media campaigns. We write weekly op-eds for like Town Hall and Christian Post and Newsweek and several others. Um, we also do these community outreaches. We have outreach to birth moms who choose adoption over abortion. We have our Henry and Andrea Bomberger Adopted and Loved Fund, which helps to fund families who want to bring a vulnerable child into their home and love them for the, the rest of their lives. Yeah. So, and we, we also do um, keynotes. We keynote in various places, very diverse places from, you know, uh, rallies outside the Supreme Court to colleges, Harvard, Princeton, University of Notre Dame, the list goes on. We help yeah. raise millions for pregnancy centers. So we do about 60 of those keynote events each year. And so we're really just trying to shine a light on how every human life has purpose. Um, you know, and we have a, we have a local pregnancy center here and, uh, I'm, I'm working with them, um, in, in some different ways. And I know that they would love to have an ultrasound machine. So what you're doing and, and just raising that awareness of those kind of needs are, it's so important, so important. Um, and we'll talk a little right. bit about that, but, uh, so based on your story and the forming of the Radiance Foundation, June 24th. 2022 was an incredibly important day for you, not only for you, but millions. What was your reaction when you heard about the Supreme Court's ruling on Roe? We have been fighting for this, my wife, Bethany, and I, for so many years. And our kids are involved in our organization, the Radiance Foundation, as well. When I heard the news, one, 
we were a little caught off guard because we had been prepared, you know, weeks and weeks before. Is it going to be right. today? Is it going to be today? Yeah. Then it hits, and I'm all by myself. Our staff is gone. My wife's at a conference. Half the staff, some of the staff is there. My kids are at camp. I'm all by myself when I find out. My wife calls me, and she's weeping on the other end of the phone, yeah. and she says, "They overturned it. They overturned it." And I'm. Ugh. So I, I immediately try to record myself. I can't even pull myself together. and yeah. I was overwhelmed. I was yeah. overwhelmed. I was overjoyed. I know this is a battle. It's not the end of the war. Right. It is a battle, but it's a significant victory. And so I just praise God. And I praise God for my colleagues, those who've been in this fight for decades oh, longer yeah. than I ever have been, who've yeah. laid the groundwork, who've risked reputation, who've poured all of their finances, who, who've poured them, themselves entirely into this and fighting for, for mothers and their unborn children and for fathers. So, yeah, overjoyed. <laughs> That's an understatement. Yeah, I saw, I saw the video that you posted. Um, I don't know how long after it was, but you were still trying to pull yourself together. And I, I just sat there and was thinking, I can't imagine. I mean, this has been so important to me, but I'm not in the thick of it like you guys are. Yeah. And, uh, and it also kind of it, it took me by surprise, too. I mean, we knew that this was coming. We knew there were decisions decision going to be made because of, of the leak and all that stuff, you know, right. weeks before. Um, but for me, it was just kind of stunned. I was kind of like, "What? What does this really mean?" And yeah. and really, it what it does. Uh, just to be clear, and maybe you can speak into this, but really, what it does right. is, it removes that federal level, and and sends it back to the states. Um, where are we yes. at right now with that? Yes, uh, that is what it does. I do. I want to add too that my my wife, in her twenties, faced an unparent pregnancy. Mm-hmm. She was a teacher single woman uh, in an abusive relationship walked away find, only to find out that she was pregnant. So she faced this herself, right. rejected the violence of abortion, never considered it. And this is important because <laughs> that that little girl's name is Radiance. She's the reason for the name of our organization. She's yeah. now 17 years old. And so this has an impact on all of us, not just women, not just my wife, not just my 17-year-old Ray Ray, uh, but everybody. And so what it means is that one, the Supreme Court finally acknowledged that they were supremely wrong in mm-hmm. 1973 yeah. to say that human life can be killed for any reason through the entire pregnancy. Because remember, on that day, there was also Doe v. Bolton, which then allowed pregnancy, uh, I'm sorry, abortion for any reason, including partial birth abortion. That's right. That's why we had to have the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act later on. And that was quite a fight. Yeah. But what it means is that. <laughs> They're saying we never this decision never should have made in the first place. So what they do is, you know, even though President Biden says this takes us back 150 years, no, it actually takes us back to 1972, where abortion was illegal That's right. in the majority of states. Yeah. And so now it's a states' rights issue. Although I will say, <laughs> I don't think that the value of human life should even be determined on state level. I, but this is where we are, and so through our elected representatives states get to set these laws so now we have some states that are clearly pro-life you know yeah. you've got a you've got a texas which has been leading on on that missouri i mean the, the list goes on and on there are 26 states and there are 13 of which had trigger laws but then you have some radically pro-abortion states of like california yeah. that is allowing abortion even in what they call the perinatal period they're allowing um the law that they just passed um, does not allow someone to prosecute for the death of a child in the perinatal period, which California defines as up to 30 days past birth. 
This is how radical. So when they talk about, you know, we want to codify Roe, we have to understand they're not trying to codify Roe because Roe actually at least allowed regulation uh, at the right. point of viability. Yeah. They're allowing abortion through the entire pregnancy up until birth. New York, Illinois, Vermont, New Jersey, California, the list goes on and on. And so this is where the battle has to take place. And it's, it's a multifaceted battle. Yeah. Churches rise up. I mean, this this battle cannot be fought. Now, for the churches that decided not to be involved all this time, welcome to the fight. Welcome to the need. And for those who have, thank you yes. for, for pouring out and for supporting our pregnancy care movement. But there's a lot of work to be done on the, on the state level, legislatively, culturally, spiritually. Yeah, it really is a spiritual battle. And I, I, I think when that happened immediately after we started seeing the protests and everything, and but what I heard that day and I've heard even, even through today is it was a sad day for women and reproductive health. And I, I've heard it before, but until that day, it never really sunk in that this is not about a woman's health or reproductive health. And and I think where we're really having problems is we're merging this more what I consider a moral biblical issue with uh, politics, and and it's becoming a political issue. Right. I don't even think that some people really understand what's going on. Just reading through Roe versus mm-hmm. Wade on Wikipedia and Norma McCorvey and uh, you know some of her statements and things she did after the fact. Um, I don't think people really understand the crux of this issue which is really it's a spiritual issue right first and foremost and it's it's interesting when people try to write it off as a political issue well i guess and slavery was too there are remedies that that need the political process the legislative process to right a wrong i mean thank heaven for the civil rights act of 57 and 64 and 65 and 68 and 72 the list goes on and on yeah that happened through a political process but the issue itself right. the racism is a spiritual issue and the same way with abortion it is a deeply spiritual moral issue and for them to say it's a sad day for reproductive health care one um killing an unborn child is not health care let's keep that in mind that's right because all the other services all the other actual health care is in place the problem is now the abortion industry doesn't have the federal protection because of roe v wade to carry out their main service and this it goes to show the fraud of Planned Parenthood for instance Mm, because in the states that have the pro-life laws like Texas guess which centers are closing down the centers that claim that they're providing this whole array of services to women Planned Parenthood centers are shutting down in all these states wait I I thought you prevent you were providing you know comprehensive reproductive care no because they cannot commit abortions they're useless because abortion is what generates their major revenue. That's it's right. what they have to offer. Every other major medical service to women. In fact, I've got a great resource. And one of the op-eds I wrote is called Less Care No Matter What. If you go to radiance.life slash less care, you will see the fact sheet and you'll see how every major medical service to women have, has been plummeting at Planned Parenthood for over a decade. Mm-hmm. But see, pro-abortion activists don't want to talk about that. They've got their bumper sticker mantras. They got their buzzwords. That's right. But they don't actually have the facts. And yeah. as Christians, it's it's crucial for us to actually understand the context so that we have clarity and we can go into these conversations and these dialogues with with the confidence that we we actually know what we're talking about. 
kind of like my shirt says, less activism, more factivism. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. I totally agree. Uh, you know, you can listen. If you're not really actively involved in this, you can listen to what is on the news. You can listen to what's in right. the papers. And you can form, or I should say, be misinformed by what's really mm-hmm. happening. Uh, and again, right. this is we borderline on this this moral and political issue. It, it just it, it's it's so tied together that sometimes we don't even know uh, what it is. And and I think that's I really believe that's the plan of the enemy, uh, just to really confuse right. and and distract while while destroying. Um, so yeah, I, I've been following this very closely. I knew I wanted you on. Uh, now now the Dobbs versus Jackson ruling which challenged Mississippi's 2018 Gestational Age Act. That personally impacted you based on your background. What were your initial thoughts when Dobbs versus Jackson ruling was officially released? It is, it's an effort by many, many pro-life AGs and pro-life legislators in state after state who have to figure out this whole legal game of trying to undo Roe v. Wade. So when Dobbs v. Jackson was, was won, when the, the legislation itself was passed, and then, of course, you get into this lawsuit. Right. Their intention was to undo Roe because the whole point of having being able to have regulations at the point of viability, they're saying, well, that's an arbitrary thing. Roe, right. it, it's so arbitrary. They set up this whole trimester framework. That's arbitrary. It's still human life. He or she still exists from the moment of fertilization onward. And so that was an avenue to actually challenge Roe, one we know so much more scientifically, not as if in 73 they didn't know it was human life. They, they knew right. it was human life from conception. That's been known for for long throughout the 20th century. That it's That's established science. But that has so become, I was that has become an issue, about, though. That has become an issue of when when does it become life? And, and that's, I mean, I mean, that's the big argument. But it's only under question by those who are anti-science pro-abortion activists who pretend that biology doesn't know that. I mean, that's why the one study from the University of Chicago that actually um, surveyed, I think it was like 2,500 biologists, and 95% fully agreed that human life begins at fertilization, at conception. It's actually not a debate when life begins. Having that argument is is so silly because it's what children are taught in in elementary school sometimes, but certainly in middle school, when you're talking about reproductive biology, we all know. I mean, even, even... National Geographic, which has, I think, a window into the womb, their series, mm-hmm. they acknowledge it because yeah. they understand yeah, yeah. that that's a scientific point. People tend to to conflate things when they say, well, that's not when a person begins, which is silly because yeah. every human is a person. That's right. And every person is a human. And whenever we decide that we get to be the arbiters of who is human enough and who mm. isn't, it never, ever goes well. No, I mean, let's look at American history. Hello, yeah. people my complexion didn't go so well. So yeah. th- the only argument is from those who want to pretend that we don't know basic biology. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that was really my point, is I don't think that deep down, if everybody was just really honest, I think everybody agrees that's when life occurs. Right. But uh, again, that's it's the argument right now that they use. Regarding crisis pregnancy support and um, the capacity of adoption agencies, what happens next with this? I I remember posting, uh, there was a lot of political back and forth for days after that decision was reached. And and I just felt like the Lord was speaking to me saying, church, now is the opportunity 
to step in. We we have mm. some have been doing it before, but now it's it rubber meets the road. Okay, right. We 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 have got what we've been praying for for a long time. Uh, but what happens next, Ryan, uh, with crisis pregnancy support and the capacity of adoption agencies um, in our society today? Right. There's. <sighs> There are so many things that are happening concurrently. People need to understand that that's reality. Sometimes people get caught up into this, you can only pursue one path. No, as the body of Christ, we actually tackle these things simultaneously. And so when it comes to the crisis pregnancy centers, which are better known as you know pregnancy resource centers or pregnancy medical clinics, right. um, they're under full attack right now. I mean, you've yeah. got an unhinged Senator Warren that wants to shut them down, saying that they torture people and that they mean harm to people. This is insane. This is, these centers, one, as a public speaker, I've been inside hundreds of pregnancy centers across the country. We've yeah. worked with them through the Radiance Foundation. Their goal is to love and serve mothers, fathers, and their families period. It is so insane to have this attack on those who consider themselves to be pro-choice, which just goes to show, again, the fraud of the pro-choice movement, because they only want the option of the violence of abortion. They want to shut down the actual centers that are there to provide all these services to pregnant women, for free, by the way, unlike abortion mills. So the, the capacity, obviously, of being able to serve is going to have to be greater for pregnancy centers, they're, 90% of their funding is from private donations. Mm-hmm. They're not funded by the state and by the That's federal right. government. Um, I mean, just a, just a slim percentage of them get you know, minuscule grants from the state and federal government. Yeah. They need individuals. They need the church to step up. We need more volunteers. They need more... I mean, if you've ever been inside a pregnancy center, you, you'll see the baby boutiques and the mama boutiques. I mean, That's you're right. talking about... okay. Just to break down some of the numbers, they give out 4 million free baby items. That's strollers, that's formula, that's diapers, that's furniture, uh, cribs. They give away 4 million of these a year, a year. That's just the baby items. And there's mama, I mean, maternity clothes. There are hundreds of thousands, 291,000 parenting classes. I mean, this this takes a lot of work and a lot of love. So there needs to be an exponential growth of financial and in-person support for our pregnancy care centers across the country. And I, you know, my wife and I have stood with pregnancy centers long before we even started the Radiance Foundation. Mm-hmm. So we're going to continue to stand with them, continue and actually increase our support and donations to these centers. In fact, if you want to find your local pregnancy center, the easiest way to find that is to go to pregnancycenters.org. And so then you go to the adoption agencies, which... <laughs> Because of abortion, you're talking about the elimination. In the last reported year, uh, there were 930,000 abortions in America. Wow. 930,000 less wow. possibilities of someone being adopted and loved or someone right. to be parented and loved by the biological parent. And so, there. And then there's this even heavier attack on adoption, calling it out as evil. You've got actually adoption abolitionists out there. Mm-hmm. which, of course, are all pro-abortion activists. That's right. There is an insane attack on adoption as well. And these agencies need the support. Not only do you have that going on, you have LGBT organizations like the ACLU and Land Legal that are trying to shut down faith-based adoption agencies mm-hmm. for actually believing that a child best flourishes with a married mother and father. So 
there are so many attacks on, on adoption that it's hard to know where to begin. But yeah, church, rise up. Pure religion is this, taking care of widows and orphans. And honestly, abortion leaves so many women widowed, abandoned by men. That's right. And leaves so many children orphaned in the womb. So this is how we can step up. And I'm not. this is not about putting down men either. There are many men who want to help protect the child that they've helped to procreate. And because of the law, they've not been able to. So this is not about demonizing men. That's but. Right. We do have a huge culture of abandonment. And so these are two ways, pregnancy care center movement, adoption agencies, but there's still a lot more, church and parachurch parachurch organization and individuals that can step up to help foster a culture of life. Yeah, boy, that's so good. I, I know working with our local resource center here, those people work hard. They put in time emotionally drained. Uh, but man, yeah. they know. And the thing is, too, Ryan, and you know this: those pregnancy centers, once that child is born, they don't stop. That continues nope. with their support, the <laughs> diapers, the formula, the strollers, all mm-hmm. those things that you just mentioned. And again, counseling for the woman, because let's face it: some of them are really up against the wall at that point. They've chosen right. life, but we're not going to abandon them. And that's where the church can also step in and say. We need to come alongside these local ministries that are reaching out to women that are in situations that are not ideal. Right. We're going to make sure because life is important to us. Life's important to God. You know, it's a gift. And um, yeah, so so your pregnancy centers they're working really hard on very little money. Reach out and yeah. help them, man. I'll tell you, I'm so such a big believer in that. Uh, we've got the the one here locally. Um, they're really pouring into the ministry towards the guys because let's yep. face it, it it took two to get in this situation we want to we want right. to reach out <laughs> to the men and the women who are involved in this and uh, i've heard some great stories from the guys who are uh, we, we have volunteers that go in and work with these guys some of them don't have fathers they don't even know what it looks like to be a parent um so it's so right. vitally important um yeah just uh, yeah, we're, we're preaching to the choir here, but uh, it's it's uh, it's so important. Well, sometimes the choir doesn't know the song, though, Mike. You're right. I mean, You're right. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. There's, there are many who don't realize the fatherhood mentoring that happens. They also don't realize the sexual risk avoidance programs that um, pregnancy centers are able to to share with, with teens in local public schools and private schools. They understand that there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of teens who are hearing a message that actually helps prevent from getting into the situation in the first place. That's where right. you have Planned Parenthood that's teaching reckless promiscuity, that's you've right. got crisis pregnancy centers, pregnancy resource centers that are actually teaching, hey, here is a scientifically based, evidence-based perspective on sexuality. And for those that can present in a private school, they also present a biblical perspective. But it, this is such a comprehensive sort of approach and we need to enable and empower these pregnancy centers to do the incredible work that they're doing. Women who've been in those same places, they're post-aborted women who run these centers, they're post-aborted men who run these centers. These are people yeah. who've been duped by the mm, pro-abortion yeah, propaganda right. before and now dedicate their lives to caring for for people with nothing but but love and compassion. Yeah, that's right. And we had uh, we had Abby Johnson on um, the, the podcast oh, yeah. uh, I don't know how long it's been now, but, uh, you know, I, I, 
when I heard her story uh, and, and saw the movie Unplanned, we uh, we talked a little bit about that, and I think it's so important. So we're getting women are hearing all this stuff, and they're pumping millions of dollars into advertising, or they were, oh, yeah. into the narrative that these women they want to hear, uh, and. and and there's not much to balance that. So I think one thing that's really important, which I mentioned our local pregnancy center here is really wants an ultrasound machine because, uh, you know, in that in Abby's situation, that's really what kind of, uh, you know, changed her philosophy on this whole thing. And, right. um, and so it's so important. I think if we can balance that message that women are getting, uh, that this is an actual baby that has its own right. life its own DNA, that heart is beating. Uh, that, I think, changes perspective on this, so it's so important. Um, why is life sacred? We, I mean, as believers, we, we know that. We, we know all the scriptures and things, but why is life sacred and worthy of protection from conception to natural death? I mean, I, I love the slogan of the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. Um, for those of those who follow the news and keep getting you know, reading reports about the American College of Gynecologists, which is radically pro-abortion. APLOG, the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs, is the alternative. They are the pro-life version of that. And their slogan says, life, it's why we're here. And I love that because mm. God placed us here, one, because he is an incredible creator. He created us in his image. And what are we supposed to do in return? And that is to worship God. And there are many different ways to worship God. But you can't become a worshiper of God if you're never allowed to exist. That's right. And so uh, Satan is always coming to steal, kill, and destroy. Always. In my own life. He didn't get me in the womb. He tried to get me out of the womb. I mean, I mm-hmm. got long stories about all those things, too. His whole thing is destruction. Yeah. And so we, it, when you see someone as being made in the image of God. It changes the way that you see things. Instead of seeing through the world's broken lens of, and you fill in the blank, broken lens of race, broken lens of class, but when you see through the breakthrough filter of Christ, you see people differently and you react to them differently and you react to their situations. Because when you're motivated by love, you don't want the other person to be harmed or to harm somebody else. It changes how we act and how we react. And that's significant. Because as Christians, we should never be okay, ever. We should never be okay with injustice. Oh, it's somebody else's business. No, injustice is our business. Proverbs Mm -hmm. 31, 8 through 9 says, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Come on. Yeah. This is why we are here. We are here to protect, we're to worship the Lord. And in that process, protect those made in his image so that they can also be heirs of, I mean, they are automatically are i mean god creates these these beautiful souls and they're destroyed before they even get to make a a decision but i'm telling you this is an act of worship to love and to elevate the dignity of fellow human beings oh i love that yeah so true uh yeah we see it all throughout scripture um you talked about the one percent that is the hundred percent um I want you to touch back on that again, just to just to resonate on that as we kind of wrap up here. Um, it's so because I think that we hear about and, and they use this a lot. The the woman who mm-hmm. her, his her health is at risk. You know, she may die 
if she continues with this pregnancy or, uh, you know, whatever the case, that narrative is so loud and so strong and yet it's a 1%. Right. So talk a little bit more about right. that. This is what the pro-abortion side does all the time. They use the fringe examples to then give shape to the entire issue. And it's always misleading and they're always exploiting. For instance, Roe v. Wade couldn't have happened unless there were Norma McCorvey, who was Jane Roe. Mm-hmm. She lied about being raped in the first place. That's right. That was so they can get over Texas's laws that for, forbade uh, abortion. So she lied about being raped because you, people have to remember Many state laws that allowed abortion allowed it, they called it therapeutic abortion. 1967 Therapeutic Abortion Act in California, which was signed by a pre-pro-life Ronald Reagan, allowed abortion in cases of rape, incest, and life of the mother. It starts off seemingly innocuous. It's just for these these extreme cases, right? Well, then what did it balloon into? I mean, in, in California, they kill over 100,000 each year via mm-hmm. abortion. New York City, they, I mean, these are these are the basically the abortion capitals on the east and west coast, always starting off. And we have to remember, people will say, well, it's so radical if you don't have these rape exceptions in these state bills, because the pro-abortion side always, always goes to the rape cases, okay? Well, even when the rape exceptions are in these state bills, guess who protests them? The pro-abortion lobby. They don't, they don't want any restrictions. They want abortion on demand for any reason throughout the yeah. entire pregnancy. So they're exploiting horrific tragedies to then promote the further violence of abortion. And we have to understand that and put that into context. And we saw that recently with Biden using the horrific example of the 10-year-old in Ohio mm-hmm. yeah, who experienced Ohio. Uh, just her, the, the, the rape and then the abortionists who violated HIPAA laws and then let that out that That's right. the abortion was committed on this child. But guess what the abortion didn't do? It didn't punish the rapist. Guess what the abortionists didn't do? Didn't report the rapist. And now, strangely, there's so many in, insane questions to ask about this because now the, the mother of the child, the supposed mother of the child, doesn't want to press charges against the man who admitted mm-hmm. that he raped this precious little child. Yeah. This is what ends up happening. So the president uses that extreme example, which there were abuses all around, to somehow make it seem like this is what we're talking about. And I would say, as someone conceived in rape, okay, let me just say this, and I do this on college campuses. I'll give you the 99% of abortions that are elective abortions have nothing to do with rape, incest, or the physical life of the mother. Will you give me the other 99%? And the answer is always the same, Mike. Total silence or expletive no (laughs) yeah because all they want to do is exploit rape to promote abortion and we have to keep that in context that the circumstances of our conception don't change the condition of our worth Mm. and i will continue to fight for the most marginalized i will continue to fight so that people experience who experience that violence get the help hope and healing that they need Abortion is none of those things. Yeah. And so we, that's why, you know, when it comes down to this issue of rape, how, how can I not speak up for those whose stories are like mine? I'm going to keep fighting for the, the most marginalized among the most marginalized. That's just yeah. what I know God has called me to do and my wife through the Radiance Foundation. And, you know, this is a time right now where uh, it's all so intense and people are going to that that the immediate go-to. They think the natural follow-up to violence, sadly, 
is more violence. Yeah. Boy, this has been so good. I want to respect your time, Ryan, but I also want to open the door and invite you back anytime you want. Uh, I would love to have you back. This is so passionate, uh, such a passionate topic for me and my wife. We went through 15 years of infertility um, before we decided to adopt from China. And in those 15 years, we heard stories uh, like we've been talking about. And we wanted nothing more. God put the desire on our hearts to be parents. And we wanted nothing more than to hold a baby in our arms. And yet we were hearing stories through those 15 years of women who, um, who, who wanted abortion at all costs. We heard the narrative through the media. And we just, we literally cried out to God, why can't we adopt? And... Uh, we ended up going to China um, through, through God's circumstances. The whole thing was God's plan and God's timing, right. um, like it often is. But uh, that was that was 15 years of heartache and pain, and um, and listening to women who were pregnant not want their child, even if they didn't abort. And so, I just want to uh, well, I want to echo everything you've said. Um, adoption, the whole abortion topic. Please dig into it. Go to the Radiance Foundation. Where can where can listeners find out more about what you guys are doing at the Radiance Foundation? Well, you can go to our main website, radiancefoundation.org. We're still on social media. We're, we haven't been completely censored yet. So you yeah. can find us on Facebook and Instagram. And if you want a specific information and some encouragement and inspiration about adoption, we have our initiative called adoptedandloved.com. That's awesome. So. I see behind you, you have some, not just one book, but you have some other books there too. Uh, the kids' books. Can you talk really briefly about Not Equal, Civil oh, Rights yeah. Gone Wrong, and what I'm seeing in the background there? Yes. Uh, not Equal, Civil Rights Gone Wrong was birthed out of the one of the most surreal experiences in my life where I was sued by the NAACP mm-hmm. because I called them out in their radical pro-abortion <laughs> position. And so that was a two-year federal court battle that we prevailed in Thank You Alliance Defending Freedom. Yeah, so that's, that's what right. that book is about. It just basically talks about how the civil rights movement has been hijacked. And then we got Pro-Life Kids, which is written by my favorite author, my wife, Bethany Bomberger. <laughs> and it's an adorable, written in rhyme, illustrated um, picture book for children that actually teaches a biblical pro-life worldview. It, there's nothing out there like it. That's prolifekids.com. We have to teach our kids before a broken world reaches them. That's right. And especially now with the overturning of Roe, where does teaching a pro-life worldview start? It starts in the home. Absolutely. That's a great resource. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so go to Radiance Foundation, and, uh, and, and we'll put all of those resources on the uh, okay. on our YouTube page and on our show notes so that everybody can get to those. Uh, Ryan, uh, please do come back. In fact, let's let's have Bethany join us next time, too. I'd love to hear from her. Oh, yeah. Um, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for doing what you do and, and, and defending those uh, defenseless. And, and um, uh, God bless you and Bethany for what you're doing. I know it's been rough. I, I, I think we're seeing a little bit of light here, and it's so encouraging. And um, again, thanks for being with us. Absolutely. God bless, Mike. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Ryan Bomberger of the Radiance Foundation. He has an amazing story, and I hope that it made you think a little bit. This podcast really was for those who are pro-choice and pro-life. It really is just about understanding deep down what this whole thing is about 
And, you know, if, if you are a believer in God's Word, in the Bible, then uh, I don't see how you can um, look at this any other way other than God values every single life. So anyway, regardless of where you stand on that, we thank you for joining us. And next week, please return. You're going to hear an incredible story about a guy you may have heard of from the TLC channel on the show, My 600-Pound Life. His name is Brandon Scott. He went from 718 pounds down to 218. He went from 718 pounds. He lost 500 pounds, and God is doing some amazing things through this young guy. I want you to hear his story. It's amazing. So we hope to see you next week on Behind the Mic, Conversations of Hope. And remember, if your life is grounded in Jesus, even in the darkest times, there is hope. <laughs>